0: Joshua, uh, chapter number one, and, um, and, and let's look in verse, verse number one. The Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou, and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Verse number five There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. We're preaching a message series on men who were not enough, and uh, I want to spend this evening tonight considering the man by the name of Joshua, who of course is the namesake for this particular book, and Joshua was the unique responsibility given of leading the children of Israel following the death of Moses into the promised land. He would not only lead them into the promised land, but he would be the one responsible for dividing the land before the various tribes. That's really what we, uh, what we discover throughout the book of Joshua. And I, I got to thinking as we were preparing and thinking about this message that when a great leader leaves his position, whether it be by way of retirement or some form of resignation or maybe even death, the next day's the initial few moments after that great leader leaves, that organization, that nation, or that perhaps church, are very, very critical. And they say that the longer a group goes without leadership, the more vulnerable that group becomes. Several years ago, I was asked, uh, a pastor called me, and and uh, and, and he said, uh, and I knew him, and he said, I, "I I want you to come and fill the pulpit for me. I said, okay, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't the pastor here yet. so maybe a little bit more liberty to do those things. And, and, um, and I, I said, okay, and, and he said, let me give you a little bit of background. He said, I have just resigned the church, and I'm taking another church in the state of Virginia. And so he said, I'd like for you to come, and I'd like for you to be one of the men that fill the pulpit until this church can find a, a new pastor. What he did not tell me, what he did not tell me is that I would be the very first guy on the very first Sunday after his departure. And I just have to tell you, I, I went walking in. I was uh, much younger than I am now. I I went walking in that day, not really realizing. I knew they were without a pastor, but I didn't realize that the pastor had just left. And I just got to tell you, that Sunday morning, I walked into that building and you could cut the tension with a knife. There was, uh, uh, there, there was just a, there was just an interesting tone in that service as far as, you know, what's next and where do we go from here? Um, I, I remember the uh, I remember the uh, the pulpit committee chairman. He stood and and, uh, and and he could read the room. Here's what a lot of them were thinking. A lot of them were thinking that I was there to candidate. They were thinking that I might be the guy that they, you know, would, would be presented to them as their next pastor. And so he very quickly put their minds at ease. This guy is not the guy, you know, that that we're considering. But I just remember thinking to myself, as I drove away from that church and I had about a two and a half hour drive home, I thought to myself, that church needs to find a pastor for pretty quick. The longer they they go, the the more problems and issues that that they're going to have. It just seems certain to me that that church was very susceptible to disunity, to confusion, and to the wrong people perhaps establishing a position of leadership and authority without certain leadership Now, I'm happy to report to you that within a few months, that church had a pastor. That pastor is still there to this day. And as far as I can tell, the church is doing well. Uh, But um, understand that God ordained leadership in the very first chapter of the Bible. Did you know that? Going all the way back to Genesis chapter number one, God gave man the responsibility of having dominion or leadership or authority over the whole earth and all of its created creatures. The Bible says in Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And we'd say, well, for what purpose? Well, one of the purposes is this, that let them have dominion, control, authority, power, leadership over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God then planted this man by the name of Adam in the Garden of Eden, and he gave him the responsibility of dressing it and keeping it. In other words, he gave him the responsibility of leadership in the Garden of Eden. The Bible tells us that in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 15, but God didn't stop there. Then God gave Adam a wife. He gave him a bride. He gave him a family. And the clear indication was that Adam was to lead his wife, that he was to lead his family. So it is quite obvious to me from the very beginning of time that God was establishing various forms of leadership in the various realms of life. He gave man, man dominion over the earth and over the garden. I think that's a picture of civil government, of the, that you're in charge of all of this, and you make sure that everything operates as it should. He gave gave Adam a a position of leadership over Eve as a picture again of the home and and how God orders and structures the home. And of course we know later God would ordain a form of leadership in his houses of worship. We find in the Old Testament the Levites and the priests and the high priest and the tabernacle and temple. And then we find in the New Testament we find pastors and elders and bishops over the New Testament church. But listen, one thing is certain. Among the many leaders Leaders, this world has seen, each of them have one thing in common, and that is this none of them are enough. They're not enough. Every nation has dealt with a flawed man or a flawed woman in a position of leadership. I have to tell you tonight every wife in this room has a flawed husband, and every child in this room has a flawed father who doesn't always do the right thing, who sometimes makes mistakes and goes a, a way that perhaps he shouldn't. And can I just say that every church, every church has a flawed pastor. Every, every single one. You spend enough time with your pastor, or you spend enough time with a husband, with a father, with a government leader, and you will find something with which to be disappointed. The best and most capable of leaders in any of these realms listen, are insufficient. They are not enough. In our text, we are given some insight into the first days and first moments of Joshua's leadership over the nation of Israel. The death of Moses came, it seems, as a shock to everybody. See, there were no visible indications of failing health or physical weakness that the people of Israel could see. You're in Joshua chapter 1. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Just one, one page back. It should be maybe even on the same page. And look what the Bible says about, about Moses in verse number 7. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. You know, some people, when they, when they come to die, we, we almost we almost feel like if I could say this respectfully and gently, we almost feel like, you know well, that's for the better. But they were suffering so much in life, bedridden, perhaps a shut-in, couldn't get out of the home, pretty much everything on their social calendar was doctor's appointments and, 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 and taking lots of medicines and getting tests and surgeries, and, and life was just really, really hard. And so when someone dies like that, if we can, if we can say this again in a, in a respectful and gentle way, we, we almost feel like, especially if they knew Christ, well, that's almost for the best. But then there are people who who, who die sort of suddenly. There were no indicators. There were no warnings that death was on the horizon. Moses was just that type of a person. The Bible says that he could see just as as clearly as he ever did. The Bible says that his natural force was not abated. He didn't walk with a hobble or with a limp. Uh, he, he, He had no problems doing the various things that he needed to do. But here's the point. The point was this. God determined that it was time for new leadership. Uh, that's really what was happening here. You see, you see, a, a little bit of background is this idea that, uh, that, that God had, had already clearly communicated to Moses that you're not going into the promised land. And it was time to go into the promised land. In other words, the, the good of the people supersedes what's best for even the leader of those people. That's sort of what's happening here. One day Moses went up to the top of Mount Nebo and he could see and he could walk without a hobble, without a limp. One day he went to the top of Mount Nebo and he never returned. God took him. It was time. It was time for the nation of Israel to march into the promised land but as we continue reading this, this passage of Deuteronomy 34, the Bible says that there is much mourning for Moses. Verse number eight, the children of Israel wept for him, for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. One of the greatest acts of Moses' leadership was the mentoring of a younger man named Joshua. Moses' investment into Joshua helped to soften the blow of his own departure and give, give this group of people some hope for a bright future. Would you look in verse number 9? And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Joshua was the known successor to Moses. He was The Bible says he was full of the spirit of wisdom and that he had the heart of the people, it seems. Now, they had seen as, 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 jo- as Moses had laid his hands upon him and they had seen this spirit of wisdom in him, they could sense this. But listen, don't miss this. Joshua himself looked at this position of leadership and he looked at this task that God had given him to do and it seems clear to me from our text that Joshua came to this conclusion, I'm not enough. Yeah, Moses has laid his hands on me. Yeah, I have the spirit of wisdom inside of me. Yes, I have a calling from God, but I'm still not enough. There's only so much that I can do. And as a result, the word spoken to him from God in our text seemed to indicate that this calling on his life was very overwhelming to him and that he wrestled with a spirit of fear. You see, on three separate occasions in these nine verses, the first nine verses of the book of Joshua, the Lord had to remind him over and over again to be strong and very courageous. Now, why would God tell him that? Because likely he didn't feel very strong and he didn't feel very courageous. God could sense that. And so God's message to Joshua is this. Be strong. Be courageous. Be full of courage, Joshua. Be strong. Be strong. Be very courageous. Let me ask you this question. What are you afraid of tonight? What is it that that fears you? You know, all of us struggle with fear. We have some anxieties that we, we deal with. Some fear the uncertainty of the future some fear financial collapse, some fear change. Then there's some people, they're they're afraid of everything. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, everything is is very fearful to them. I I want us to consider some of the fears that I, I think maybe Joshua had. As I just kind of read this text, sort of have to be read between the lines a little bit, but I don't think I'm going too far out there to say that these were some of the things that he wrestled with. I think, number one, Joshua had a fear of man. I think he feared men. Look in verse number five, where the Bible says, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Now, why do you suppose God said that to him? Well, it's possible that Joshua was a little afraid of men standing before him and and, 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 and taking advantage of, of him or doing something that they ought not to do. You know, this might be a reference to the enemy that lay on the other side of the Jordan River, but maybe God also had in mind those Joshua was given to lead. You know, Joshua had been Moses' understudy for a long time. He had watched, hadn't he? As throughout even Moses' leadership, Moses, this great leader who, who is, who is um, uh, God's man over the 10 plagues. He's God's man standing at the Red Sea that they walk across on dry land, perhaps one of the greatest moments in the history of the world. And yet, And and, by the way, Moses was the man in which God spoke face to face. Moses was the man in which God gave him, wrote with his own finger the Ten Commandments and gave him those tablets. Yeah, that that Moses, the Bible is still clear that it was that same Moses that the people of Israel rebelled against. There were some uprisings throughout Moses' leadership. And so maybe maybe God said to Moses, there shall to Joshua, there shall not a man be able to stand before thee." Not so much about those who were outside the camp of the nation of Israel, but maybe God was saying to Joshua, "Listen, listen, I am going to put my stamp of approval on you in such a way. I know what you're worried about. I know you're concerned because there were some that even withstood Moses. I get it. I promise you, you're my man for the job. No one is going to be stand, be able to stand." before you. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. I don't suppose there's hardly anybody in this room that doesn't fear men. It's natural to to fear a man, you know, to, to cross somebody, to offend somebody, whether knowingly or unknowingly, to be in some, some level of conflict with someone where someone disagrees with you and with a decision perhaps that you've made. Listen, we all wrestle with that just a little bit. We, we struggle with that just a little bit. And it seems as if perhaps maybe that's something that Joshua was struggling with here. He feared men. But I think maybe secondly we discover that he feared failure. You fear failure. In verse number six, the Bible again says, be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divine for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Verse number eight, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Almost get the idea that Joshua says to the Lord, Lord, I just want to have some success. Lord, I I, I I'm not enough. I I fear leading this group of people and not having success. And it's almost as if God says, "Hey, let me tell you. Let me help you to know how you can have success." You see that book? See that book that I gave to Moses? That book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You you know my word. You read my word. You meditate on my word. You live my word, and I promise you, you'll have good success. Can I just help you to understand that message hasn't changed? I'm telling you, the people that I know who've lived the best lives are those who have decided we're not going to let this book depart out of our mouth. We're going we're to read it. We're going to study it. We're going to meditate upon it. We're going to live it in our home. It'll help your marriage. It'll help you as you raise your children. It'll help you as you go to work. It'll help you in your career. It'll help you in your neighborhood. It'll help you in your church. He'll help you everywhere you go. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice that God does not condemn Joshua for his fears. You notice that? Instead, he assures Joshua. He says, listen, if you'll obey me and if you'll honor me, if you'll live according to my word, you will enjoy good success. I'd like for us to consider tonight how God meets a man in his fear and how God helps him to overcome and conquer not only his fears, but he also helps him to overcome all of the enemies and obstacles that might stand in his way. Say, what's the point? The point is this. The Lord told Paul his strength was made perfect in weakness. God's strength was made perfect in Paul's weakness. Joshua's weakness might have been his fears, the fear of following a great leader like Moses, the fear of standing up to the men that he would lead, the fear of of, of, of perhaps failure and, 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 and maybe not doing everything that, uh, that that God had given him to do. But but listen, in this text, God lovingly and faithfully ministers grace and strength to Joshua so he could move beyond his fears and do what God called him to do. So from our text tonight, we'll discover how God helps a man who is likely full of some fear and anxiety, to move forward and to slay his fears as well as the enemy that God has called him to subdue. Notice number one, how does God minister to a man who is full of fear, who is not enough? Number one, God gives clear direction. God gives clear direction. We see that in verses one and two. You know, many times those who fear failure, they sort of need step-by-step instructions to help them. Joshua knew that God had called him to lead, and he knew what God wanted him to do, that is to lead the people into the promised land and divide the land among the tribes. But when to do this, where to do this, and how to do this might have been some key factors that probably kept him awake at night, tossing and turning in his bed. God, I know you've called me. I know you've called me to lead this people. But when? When do we we make our first move? And where do we where do we do it? And how do we do it? Lord, I I I, I don't know. I I I I don't feel like I'm enough. But if you've called me, to this I'll follow you. But Lord, you're going to have to lead me step by step. Hey, guess what? God is more than capable of doing that. We see that in our text. Notice notice with me as we as we walk through this. Notice that God first of all led him to know when. God led him to know when. Did, would you look in verse number one? Verse number two. Moses, my servant, is dead now now. The when is now. Joshua is, is perhaps sitting here saying, okay, Lord, we've mourned for Moses for 30 days, and we know, Lord, that you've, you've called us to go, and you've led, called me to lead this people. So you just tell us when to go, and we'll go. And God comes to him, and God says, now. Now. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan Moses was forbidden from entering the promised land along with a whole generation of faithless people. Moses, in my mind, I think he probably was maybe the final man standing among them. God in his grace and his mercy allowed Moses to see the land, but he would not allow him to enter the land. With Moses now dead and Joshua installed as the clear leader, the time to enter the promised land according to God was now. You know, we don't want to do things too soon, nor do we want to be late in doing what God has put in our heart to do. Sometimes the greatest struggle of all is not, Lord, what do you want, do you want me to do? But the greatest struggle is, Lord, when do you want me to do it? When? Not what? If I were to come to some of you tonight, say, where, where, where do you see yourself in five years? What do you think, what has God put in your heart to do? Perhaps you could say, I, I really think that I'm gonna be in this place. If I were to ask the next question, well, when are you going to get started on that journey? Some of you might look at me and say, I'm not sure. In other words, you know what God wants you to do, but you don't know when God wants you to do it. Hey, listen, listen, take, take heart tonight and take hope. We have a God who's able to lead, to help us to know even the whens Sometimes the greatest anxiety isn't what, but when. I believe God is capable of giving clear direction as it relates to the timing of matter. Some of you, perhaps, maybe you're, you're wrestling with certain thoughts or ideas. Lord, when, when should we move? When should I retire? When should I plant a church? When should I marry? When should we have children? Listen, for all of the whens in life, God is more than capable of leading and giving us clear direction. No doubt about it. That's what he did here. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, get up and get moving. You'll know. You'll know. Likely, if you're wrestling tonight with the when, it's because God hasn't given you that clear direction yet. One of these days, God's going to open that door. If it's something he's put in your heart to do, you know it's what God wants you to do. He's going to open that door, and it's going to be as natural as anything. You're not going to kick anything down. You're not going to have to force anything open. No, God will do all of that for you. You just got to wait on him. God is more than capable of leading us to know when. But notice, secondly, God led him not only to know when, but God led him to know where. In verse number two, it says, therefore arise, go over this Jordan. Look at verse verse number four. He says, here's the land that I've given you from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates. So the wilderness is south. That's way, way south. If you're looking at a map, that's south. This Lebanon, if you look at a, look at a, a Bible map uh, or a map of that part of the world, you understand Lebanon is north. If you're looking at a map, the river Euphrates, well, that, that river is, is east. And then he helps us to get an idea of of, of where their border is to the west. He says, we're the going down of the sun, the great sea toward the going down of the sun. So here's what God says. God says this, here's here's where I'm leading you. Here's where I want you to go. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. North Lebanon, south wilderness, east Euphrates, west Mediterranean Sea. That is your land. Now go take it. Isn't Isn't that amazing how clear and specific God is? Again, there may be be some of you that are, I I think this, I think that. And I would just say, listen, don't move until you know this or you know that. Because God is more than capable of making it as clear as, 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 as it is humanly possible to know what it is that God wants us to do. So where do we begin this conquest, Joshua asks. And how much of this land is designed to be ours? God says, listen, This Jordan right here, he says, I don't want you to march any further north. I don't want you to march any further south. Where you're at right now, I've led you right to the spot where I want you to cross. And when you get in there, understand this. North Lebanon, south wilderness, West uh, Mediterranean, east Euphrates, that's your land. Now go inhabit all of it. It is yours. I have given it to you. So God let him know where. Then thirdly, notice God let him to know how. Okay, Lord, you want us to go now? And here's where you want us to go. Oh, Lord, how do you want us to get there? You know, their army was not as strong or advanced as some of the armies that they were going to face. And by the way, it was this very fear that kept them from advancing into the land 39 years prior. See, they'd already been to this point before. They were ready. They sent the spies in. The spies came back and they said, we can't do it. And so they responded in fear. And God said, okay, if that's the way you want it to be. Then you're going to wander here for another 39 years, and all of this generation, 18 years old and up, is going to die. You're never going to walk into the promised land. Now they're in another similar moment. And they're asking the question, okay, Lord, how? You see, you see the point is this. The cities, The cities that were walled 39 years ago, they were still walled. Nothing had changed. You know the the giants that lived in those cities? (laughs) They hadn't moved out. They hadn't. They were were still there. All of the the fears, all of the anxieties, you know know how the children of Israel, they felt like were were grasshoppers in comparison to them? Well, guess what? They still felt like they were grasshoppers in comparison. Nothing had changed. So the question of the nation of Israel is this, Lord. it's, It's still this. Lord, How? You've told us you're going to do this, but how are you going to do it? God gives direction, verse 7. Here's how. Be strong and courageous. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper with goes. So you know what, you know what he's, saying? he's saying? He's saying, listen, forget about your swords. Forget about your bows. Forget about lifting weights. Forget about your battle strategies. You want to know how? Do the one thing. Do the one thing that I've told you to do. Know God's word. Live God's word. Don't turn from God's word. Not to the right hand or the left. If you'll do those things, I'll take care of the rest. You know, know, some of you might be sitting here tonight, and you might be contemplating something as big as marriage. And perhaps you look around you and all you see, all you see is divorce and all you see is heartache and all you see are problems and issues. And you say, Lord, I think you've put this in my heart, but Lord, I I don't know how in the world we're gonna make this thing work. And you know what God says to you? God says to you, listen, don't think about how you're gonna make it work. Know my word, live my word. Don't turn from my word and you'll be successful. It's as simple as that. Some of you are looking at some obstacle and it's a walled city. There's a giant on the other side of that wall and you're saying, how? And the answer is this, it's not you getting stronger. It's not you reading more self-help books. It's you reading this book and living, li- living out this book that's going to change things. That's what it's all about. God let him. God led him to know how. Listen, success in the Christian life is never based on talent. It's not based on skill. It's not based on smarts. It's not based on any other physical ability. Success in the Christian life is based on obedience. If you want to know how to conquer an enemy in your life, just obey God and do what He says, and He'll give you the victory. That's the point. That's the how. Joshua is saying, Do we need more swords? Do we need more chariots? Do we need more horses? Do we need more bows? Do we need more torches? Lord, what do we need? God says you need to be strong and courageous, and you need to observe to do everything that I've told you to do in the book that I've given you. And listen, that message hasn't changed. Lord, do we need, do we need you know, more people in the choir? Lord, do we need more workers on the bus route? Lord, do we need more great soul winners? Do we need more givers? Do we need this? Do we need that? No. Now you know what we need, church? We need to just observe to do everything that he's told us to do in the book. And if we'll do that, we'll have success. Walls will come down. New, new land will be conquered. And God will be honored and glorified in our midst. That's what it's all about. So he gave clear direction. But notice, secondly, God made certain promises in verses three to five. Consider Consider this, listen, the power of God didn't die when Moses died. Nor did the promises of God die when Moses died. Would you look? Would you look in verse number five? Therefore, shall any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses? So I will be with thee. Look in verse number three. He says, he says Every place that the, tr- tr- the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. You know what God's saying? God is saying this the promises didn't die when Moses died. I got to thinking. I remember, I believe it was 2010 that our, our church's founding pastor died. I remember that. I remember it well the impact that he made and because of how God used him here, I want you to understand something. The power of God is still available to us. Say, well, the founding pastor is gone. What's going to happen to the church? I mean, a lot of things could happen, but nothing has to happen because God's still on the throne. And one of these days, you're going to hear that I'm dead and gone. Ain't no No sweat. So long as the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't returned yet, listen, the power of God is still available. As I was with Moses, I will be with thee. The things that I said to Moses, I'm saying them to you. The promises don't die when the leader dies. We grieve the loss of great leaders and men, and we should. But listen, God is alive, and he is well and his word and promises we can still claim today. In other words, here's the point. It doesn't matter who dies so long as he's still alive, and he is, and he will always be alive. His power and his presence and his promises are still available to us. So God makes certain promises. What does he promise to Joshua? A man perhaps dealing with some fear. A man who's not enough. Number one, he makes him the promise of his power. Again, the land was, the land was too big. The cities were too impenetrable. The people were too mighty. 39 years prior, they made these excuses as to why they couldn't possess the land. And by the way, so long as they would continue to look at how big the enemy was, they would never possess it, never. God was promising to give the land to them. God promised that no man would be able to stand before Joshua, no matter how tall he was, no matter how strong he was, no matter how mighty he was, would be able to resist him, and that he would not fail to do what he promised. Listen, on what basis could God make a promise like this? Listen, he could say all of this, and he could fulfill it based on his great power. And you might ask, well, how powerful is he? How powerful is he? Well, let scripture answer the question for you. Psalm 118 in verse number six, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Bible says in Isaiah fifty four seventeen, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. The Bible says in Romans eight thirty one, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, the answer to that is nobody, nobody. How powerful is our God? On what basis does God make a promise like, if God be for us, who can be against us? He makes that promise based on his great power. There's no power like his in all of the world. No, he holds all power. All power, Jesus said, is given unto me. Go ye therefore. The promise of his power. But notice, secondly, the promise of his presence. Did you look in verse number five? The Bible says, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee. That's his power. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Here's Here's the promise of his presence. God says to him, I will be with thee. I will be with thee. Joshua might have feared that the relationship Moses enjoyed with God would not be the relationship he would enjoy. But listen, God assured him that just as he was with Moses, so he would be with him point is this. Listen, I can climb any mountain. I can trek through any valley. I can swim across any water so long as the Lord is with me. Several weeks ago, I finished, I think it was on a Sunday night, and I was just getting ready to come off the platform. And my son, kind of as he does every so often, he probably shouldn't do it, but he came running up here to greet me, to see me. And he paused for a moment. He stood right here. You all were kind of talking and congregating. Some of you were heading for the door. Some of you had already got. Some of you were already halfway home. Probably by that point in time. <laughs> and he stood here at the pulpit and he looked out and he goes, "Dad, how do you, how do you do it? I, I, man, I would be scared to death to stand up here in front of all these people. How do you do it by yourself?" And I don't remember what I said, but you know, the more I think about it, what I want him to know, and what I want our church family to know is this: I don't have to stand up here all by myself. In fact, I pray, listen, I pray I never stand up here by myself. If I stand up here by myself, we, we might as well just close our Bibles and go home. Because listen, we 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 we've we've come to hear, we've come to hear one thing tonight. We've not come to hear from me, we've come to hear from the Lord. And every time, listen, every time I walk up to this pulpit, somebody say, How do you how would you do that? I'd be terrified, I'd be this, I'd be that. Because I don't do it alone. No, no, listen, listen, as God, as God said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I think to myself, well, I've got the same God as he was with Pastor Thompson, as he was with my dad for 24 and a half years, so he will be with me. The Promise, listen, the promise of his presence. You know, Moses, Moses came to this acknowledgement in his ministry. I talked about this a few years ago in a theme and in a message. God was fed up with his people because they had created a golden calf and they had worshipped it. And God said to Moses, God said, listen, I'm still going to fulfill my promises, but these people have shown themselves to not be very faithful. And therefore, therefore listen, I'm not going to lead you into the promised land. My angel's going to go before you. You know what Moses said? Moses said, no can do. Moses said, God, listen, listen we, 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 we don't want to go in there with just an angel. We, here's what he's saying. He's saying this. He's saying, we'd rather have no land and have God. Than have land and no God. And you got to come. You and I got to come to the place in our lives. Where we say, "Listen, listen. I, I, I'd rather I'd rather have nothing but have God than have everything and have no God." You know what God said to him? God, God said to him in Exodus thirty, in Exodus thirty-three. He said, it, it, Moses said in verse number fifteen, "If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence." For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And God responded and said, okay, I will go. I will go. In other words, Moses said, I'd rather have God and no land than land without God's presence. You know, I fear today in some respects, and I can be just as guilty of this as anybody, that we become masters of living the Christian life without God's presence. We've substituted, in some respects, we've substituted God's presence for a list of rules. As 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 long as you're doing these things, everyone will think that you're a believer. Your testimony will be intact. So long as you wear a nice suit of clothes, you listen to a certain style of music. You come up with a clever sermon outline or a tear-jerking story to drive your point home. Everything will be okay. And I just want you to know something. There have been, there have been, there have been people that I've heard preach, and they, and they stood and they, and they had a clever outline, and they told tear-jerking stories, and maybe they had us laughing one moment, and they had us crying the next moment. And I think that, listen, all of that's great, but what we need, to, what we need more than anything is not that, we need the presence of God. You know, we could have a church full of people wearing three-piece suits and everyone dressed just the right way and everybody doing everything just the way we think it ought to be done. And we can have that without the presence of God. The presence of God can never be substituted. Many, many believers and even churches have operated absent of God's presence for a long time and they may not even know it tell you, even a church like ours can fall victim to this. So don't don't be afraid of some weakness or perceived threat. Be very afraid of this, of living the Christian life without the power and presence of God. That's what you need to be afraid of. God says to Joshua, get your eyes off of the big cities and the walls and the giants and get your eyes on me and understand that so long as you have my Power and you have my presence, you will be successful. There, here's the final point. Number three, God required courageous faith. God required courageous faith. Three times in these verses, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. You know, if God was simply going to do everything for them, it would not be necessary for them to be strong and courageous. Do you ever stop to think about that? In other words, God could have said, "No, listen, Joshua, you and your people, just sit, just sit here on the other side of the Jordan and I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go before you and I'm gonna drive everybody out and then I'll come back and I'll tell you when everybody's gone and then you can go rushing in and you can have everything. Could, could God have done that? Of course he could. He can do anything. But is that what God did? It's not what he did at all. It's not what he did at all. You know, there have been people that have mistaken the can- Canaan land for heaven. There's a song that's sung. It's a, I'm sure the people that sing it mean well, but it's, it says Canaan land is just in sight where there will be no sorrow and there'll be no tears and there'll be no this and there'll be no that. Some of you know the song. And I gotta tell you, the, the, the writer of that song is not right. He's off. Because there, there would be some difficulty in Canaan. There would be some stretching of faith in Canaan. There'll be none of that in heaven. All of that will be behind us in heaven. Canaan land, listen, is not a picture of heaven. Canaan land is a picture of this life right now lived with God. That's what Canaan land is a picture of. And by the way, that life requires courage and it requires faith. Joshua and his men were gonna have to cross the Jordan. They were gonna have to walk up to those walled cities. There would even be times in which they were gonna have to carry swords and bows and they were gonna have to fight valiantly and here's what God is saying. As you do these things, my power will be upon you so that you won't be able to lose. But you've got to exercise courageous faith. You've got to do it. Sometimes we sit and we think, well, this needs to be done and that needs to be done. And, But well, wouldn't it be great if we had this ministry and if we had that ministry? And you know what needs to happen? Somebody needs to stand up and just say, I'm going to do it. And why don't we do it? Because we fear Failure. What if it doesn't work? What if people don't get behind it? Well, listen, if God's put it in your heart to do, exercise some courageous faith and get to it. That's what he's saying. God's power would be upon them, but they were going to have to march onto the battlefield. They were going to have to prove God by faith, which is why God told Joshua to be strong and to be courageous. Listen, our fears and our anxieties, the things that we're afraid of are nothing before an almighty God however it is very likely that god will lead us to have to face some of those things with boldness and with courage just as joshua and his people did and our boldness and our courage can never be in our abilities the confidence that we have in ourselves no no our 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 confidence our courage is not going to be in our swords and our physical strength no it's to be rooted in faith and in obedience to a God that we cannot see with our physical eyes, but we can see through the eyes of faith. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In other words, God says, says, unless you're willing to demonstrate courageous faith, you've got an evil heart of unbelief. Don't Don't let that dwell in you, church family. Don't let that dwell in you, Joshua. 39 years ago, the people had an evil heart of unbelief and I would not let them go into the promised land. Don't you, don't you be that same generation. Hebrews eleven six. 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Perhaps some of you tonight look at your life and you say, I'm not enough because I'm full of fear. How does God, listen, how does God meet us in that moment? He comes to us, doesn't he? He makes certain promises. He gives clear direction. But he listen, Listen. he requires courageous faith. So stand up, you're going to have to face those things. You're going to have to pray through it. You're going to have to trust God through it. You're going to have to spend some time on your knees to get through it. If you'll do those things, you'll trust God. He'll give clear direction. He makes certain promises in his word. If you and I will exercise courageous faith us that are not enough, and that's all of us, his grace and his strength will be more than enough in our lives. All right.